Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you once again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as how to utilize the information we provide today and take full accountability of the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. And one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time and is the month of June, Pride Month. And as such, we are honored today to have with us not one, but two very, very special guests. Their names are April Barton, mental health counselor, St. Francis College, Brooklyn, and Megan Davis, director of the first year experience, also from St. Francis College, Brooklyn. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, April and Megan. Good morning. Great to have you both with us here this morning. Please share with the listeners and me from what city and state you are speaking from this morning. This, this is April Barton, and I am speaking to you from Brooklyn, New York. And this is Megan, and I'm also speaking from Brooklyn, New York, and just want to note that it is the indigenous land of the Lenape and Canarsie peoples. Thank you so much to both of you and Megan for adding that. Sadly, we've only got 30 minutes. We could spend hours talking about you individually, talking about Pride Month. So if it's okay with you, we're going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Pride Month, LGBTQ plus Pride Month, celebrated during the month of June. To assist our listeners who may be unfamiliar, for what do the initials LGBTQ plus stand? Go ahead, April. Um, so lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and the plus includes... Um, a number of other things. So people would add asexual, intersex, intersex, um, and a number of other things to that. Okay, great. Thank you for that clarification. That's very helpful. When did Pride Month begin to be celebrated? And, and what was its genesis? Why was it started? To the best of my knowledge, um, Pride began in 1970, about a year after the Stonewall um, protest in New York City, which was um, spearheaded by uh, mostly trans women and trans women of color, um, who in our community have consistently been leaders um, who and, and, and activists from, uh, from the very beginning. But, um, and then in 1970, a year after Stonewall, there were protests in, I believe, New York and LA and Chicago as well. And that was kind of the, the beginning. Um, so really, I think we saw kind of like a, 
reconnection to this last year is that pride started as a protest. Um, you know, it really started as um, activism for uh, LGBTQ plus rights. And, and again, just want to note that we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us and, and trans women of color really um, were the ones fighting for all of us from the very beginning. Yeah. I didn't realize this, and maybe our listeners didn't as well. This started over 50 years ago then. Wow, oh, that's terrific. It was, and it was very specifically a protest against police brutality um, because um, the arrests that were happening, especially the, the arrests of trans women, but gay people in general, queer people in general, um, was having a huge impact on the community. And there was lots of police raids and it was really, it started at Stonewall Inn um, as a protest against police brutality. It's very heartening to me to know that the protests started right in our own backyard here in New York City, certainly. So that's wonderful. This is the Pride Month, certainly the month of June, as we've said. I'd be curious, and April, we'll start with you. What does this Pride Month mean to you? I think that's evolved a bit over time. Um, I think when I was a young person, Pride Month, and I really hadn't come out and really hadn't come out to myself, but then even more broadly, it really meant vis visibility and it meant hope. Um, seeing that, I grew up in the Midwest um, and really was not surrounded by a lot of role models or people who could help me see a path forward. Um, and so this idea of pride really was about visibility for me. And it was kind of the only time um, that I knew that sort of queer people existed in the world. Um, then as I moved to New York City, as I came out, I came out to myself and then I came out to the broader world. It really was about joy. Um, it really was about connection and community and joy and celebration. And now that I'm... Uh, an older, not old, but you know, now that I'm more mature, um, I'm a parent, um, I have, you know, more of an established career. I think it's really become more about um, helping my children understand the history that Megan just spoke with, helping them become activists themselves in their own spaces where they are and really having this established time to celebrate their identity, to talk to their classmates about their identity and to learn about, about their own history. We talk about our family's history, but then we also talk about our queer family history and how we're a part of a broader movement and um, pride provides a lot, lots of opportunities to really naturally have those conversations yeah. with, with my children. That's amazing. Megan, how about for you, please? I love everything that April said. I really connect to everything that it, she mentioned. I'm, I'm not a parent, um, but, uh, but I think definitely I agree with, you know, her first point about, I definitely feel, I still feel this way, but especially when I was younger, as she mentioned, and like you're, I, I don't even know if it was about age. I think it was about like in the process of coming out because yeah. it's like a journey and it's not just a moment. It's like a long time. Um, it was so critical to have that visibility, to be able to like see yourself and other people and to see um, just a lot of positivity around that, I think um, mm -hmm. for me was like really powerful and important. Um, and then I think definitely like the joy and celebration part, there's something um, 
that I don't know that I could ever do justice with words about being in community with people um, who, who are your people, if that makes sense. Um, and it's, it's just like um, disarming and, and comfortable and grounding and affirming um, and healing. Um, and, it, and it is, uh, to me, that is the most powerful part of it. Um, and that's why, you know, community is so important in many iterations of how it manifests in, in pride. Because um, I think that it looks different for different people the way they want to celebrate. But for me, that's the what I love most about it. And then I think the only other thing I would just add is that it, it kind of, and I am trained as an historian, so maybe that's why my nerd mm -hmm. comes out. I think it, um, as April said, in the way, from her perspective as a parent, I think to me, it just, it um, creates space for reflection on history yeah. um, and kind of where we come from and and all of the amazing privileges that I have because of the efforts of others um, and all of the work that we still have to do for one another and with one another. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's what it means for me, but really connected. Oh, both of those so beautiful. Thank you for your heartfelt sharing there. Now, thank God for Monday, certainly a show about professional satisfaction. Let's peel the onion and talk about LGBTQ plus humans in the workplace. How have historically LGBTQ plus humans been viewed in the workplace? Megan, do you or uh, April have a thought on that, please? Sure, I'll jump in first and then April, you can add anything um, that, that you'd like. Uh, I think that the first thing I'll say is that, um, you know, uh, I cannot speak for everyone. Everyone's experiences are their own and are very different. Um, and I think there's a lot of factors that like impact experience. So your own identity uh, impacts your experience, um, your identities, right? Like the intersections of identity. I think that's really important to note, right? So, um, you know, the way race and gender and sexuality and, and socioeconomic, you know, status and on and on, right? The ways in which all that intersects um, has an impact on the ways in which we experience the workplace. And I think um, like our timeline, your generation, right? Like what, you know, what generation you're part of um, and also like where you live. Um, a lot of uh, the experiences we have are um, not just about kind of like a sweeping national experience, but you know, what's it like in your state? What's it like in your town? What's it like in your company or your school um, and so on. So I just want to note that, that this gets really different for everybody. Um, and that all the experiences are valid um, and and real. I think that, you know, in terms of of how things like you know things that are hard about you know being in the workplace, I think that it can be something as small and simple as like navigating how to speak about your family without um, you know. Uh, without kind of putting yourself in like a really vulnerable position or a position to experience discrimination or, or just, um, you know, some, something like that really small yeah. that a lot of other people with privilege don't think about, like having to talk about their partners and their families. Um, and then it could be something really um, on a much larger scale or a more serious scale around like um, your employment status, right? Like being fired or hired um, in the first place, because of the way you look, or because um, you know, because of your pronouns, because of the way you dress, because of 
um, you know, your advocacy for yourself or because of your advocacy for others. Um, and so there's, uh, I think, like a, like a large spectrum of ways in which um, our identities show up in the workplace. I think that's really like, I'll leave it at that and then I'll pass it to April. I think ultimately what it comes down to is we are human beings and everything that makes us who we are comes with us into work. And, yeah. and it is the misconception that we can leave our identities at the door, whether they are identities that provide us with privilege or identities that, that may um, you know, put us in vulnerable positions to power right in the workplace. Um, and I think that's really what it's all about. And we have to, as employees and employers, even more importantly, if you have power, um, need to think about that and the ways in which um, we make it really hard for folks who don't have privileged identities to exist in healthy ways and in thriving ways in our workplaces. Well, um, thank God for Monday. Yeah, we're all about here having people bring their total selves to the workplace as they are. That's why we're so really happy both of you are on the show with us. I'm sorry, April, your thoughts there, please. I would just echo everything Megan said and to bring in a little bit of the historical context. You know, I think for a long time it was assumed that there were no queer people in the workplace and we all know that that was a lie. Um, and that, you know, there were not just no legal protections, which is important to remember that there still are not a lot of legal protections for people. Um, it depends on where you are, what country you're in, what state you're in, what county you're in sometimes. So it is really important to remember that. But, you know, while we've had improvements, it was not so long ago where queer people could not get a job. I mean, the unemployment rate was very high. If you, if you were outed, you lost your job, you lost your family, you lost everything. And it was a well-known fact. It wasn't it wasn't sort of like this thing done in this done in secret. It was you were fired, and there would have been a lot of support for being fired. And in fact, school districts who tried to keep on um, gay teachers faced a lot of backlash around things like that. So, it's, you know, this history is not so long. I, I remember um, being in my 20s and I'm not, you know, I'm in my 40s now, I'm not old and uh, do, don't ask, don't tell was a thing. So, you know, this was, this was not, this is not long ago history. This is very recent sure. history that you could not be employed if you were openly queer. So now I think it is a little bit more nuanced. I think you can come to the workplace many times an out person, open about that, but there's all these sort of things that you have to think about along the way. And it has a lot to do with intersectionality that Megan was talking about, but then there's even these little things um, about where you're working and if you're in client services, what does that mean? Um, you know, maybe you're sort of open with your pronouns internally, but then are you open with your pronouns externally? And even as a mental health counselor, if I were to, you know, go out in private practice, do how open am I about that? Am I only going to sort of be able to be of service to other queer people, which I don't mind doing, but that feels like a choice that I would have to make if I was open about my identities, that that's sort of who I would attract. And I might not sort of other people might not reach out to me because they might make assumptions. It's, you know, I think it is really multi-layered about 
your relationship status, your own personal identities, your advocacy. And we're, we're still very much in a nuanced position, even though there are more legal protections. And certainly, you know, we're seeing um, a lot more openness in lots of different ways. I think that when it's a lived experience, it's much more nuanced and complex. I'm embarrassed to tell you, I really didn't have a sense of the challenges uh, that people, certainly the LGBTQ plus humans were facing. And it sounds like they are still facing today. We've made some strides, yes. But did you want to share a little bit more maybe, is there an opportunity for improvement or two that we still need to work on uh, in the workplace? I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I would just say listening to April, you know, speak a little bit. I mean, even for me, uh, I mean, at, at two different institutions before um, I, you know, arrived here in this role I have now, um, you know, I had my own experiences where you're like, you know, in, um, I don't know what the right language is to use, right? Like kind of almost in conflict with the institution itself, right? By, because you are who you are. Um, oh. And so it's like, it, even that kind of a thing, right? Where you, when you make certain choices, there's consequences for those choices. And um, sometimes they can be really good and affirming, you know, um, if, if you're in a, in a good place. And then other times, um, you know, it's uh, maybe a personal victory to stand in your authenticity, but then there's like these, you know, um, even if there are social consequences, right? It doesn't have to be, um, you know, like I, I just really appreciated her use of the word like nuanced. I think it's like really complex. And the, I think the, the language I would use is like the emotional labor um, that, is, uh, that is put upon folks um, to do uh, just all the time um, in all spaces, but especially in the workplace where there is more at stake in some in some ways, um, or different things at stake, I should say. Um, it, that's really really hard, um, and it's not it's invisible. I think um, in in a lot of ways, and I think again, this is something that um, cuts across identities. You know, um, that's really important to note. This is not something that's unique to LGBTQ plus folks. People, folks, I think it's like a people thing, depending on what your identities are and it manifests differently for different identities. But for me, I think, you know, there is, there is, there are kind of like three ways to think about these like experiences, right? That we all, of, of human beings in the workplace, whatever workplace you are, right? So there's, there are things that are um, like direct, like really direct things, right? Like that you're being fired or you're being, um, right, dis like discriminated against or verbally, right, someone is saying something to you, right? So there's really like direct, right, examples. And I think less and less that is the case, um, hopefully, right? We're making yeah. progress in that way where it's less visible. Um, but sometimes it's almost scarier or more dangerous when it becomes invisible. Wow. Uh, and I think in some ways that's, that's that part we haven't done as good of a job on. And those two things I think manifest in two different ways. One is through like structures and institutions. So like things like policies, right? Like what are the policies around healthcare, right? What are the policies around like family leave? What are the policies around, um, you know, like employees rights and, uh, you know, and, and, and on and on, right? And that could be policies at the institution or organization where you work. It could be at the state level or so on. Sure. Um, 
And then there's, and, and often the more local you get, that's really where the power lies in terms of what, what you are able to do and not do. So sometimes the organization's policies have more of an impact than any law could ever have. Um, and, and it's really interesting and that becomes invisible, right? Cause we get really caught up in like the national narrative, um, sure. on certain things and we, and the other stuff gets lost. Um, and the second way that I think there's this like insidious, um, kind of, you know, uh, I don't know, discrimination maybe, or, or right. This, this kind of still harmful practice. So it exists in our policies in many ways. And sometimes it's not like an active policy against us. It's like the absence of protection or centering of us, right? Because like our needs are unique, our our healthcare needs are unique, our family sure. needs are unique. Um, you know, not more or less, just just different in some yeah. way, right? Um, and how like is language leaving us out, right? Like it's just little things like that that we're overlooking. Um, and when people with privilege are the ones writing those policies, then it's like they're we're just kind of left out. Uh, and then it's like, sometimes I've been in situations where you're like, well, advocating for yourself. And it's like, people don't even know what to do because it's just confusing and you're not included, but you're not not included. And then ha- that's weird. Cause it's like, oh, wow. Like you just didn't even think of me at all. Like I'm just completely missing from like anyone's thoughts um, on this. And so that's like, oh, and then the, the second part of this, right. So we have institutional, right. And systemic things, which we have to we have to address. And then there's also just the culture, right? And that's like the way workplace feels. So when you show up, right, in an office or like in your little cubicle space or, you know, in your classroom or in the hospital or wherever it is, right, your your location, I think it's like, how does it feel? How do people make you feel? How do they talk to you? And, and I think that it can exist on like really big ways. Culture can manifest like in really grandiose ways. And then it can also be really little things, right? Where like, every time my coworker says goodbye, right? And it's me and another person um, who like presents as a woman. Um, they say, take care ladies, right? And like every call oh. the lady, like every single day. And I'm like, ooh, you know? And then I'm kind of like, you know, do I, do I ask them to please don't do that? And then I'm kind of like outing myself in that process. And then now I maybe... And like, it just gets into a complicated thing. Wow. Um, and so culture can be really, really like small things like that. And then it can be really, really big things, you know, um, on like a grander, larger scale, right? Where like, say for example, like there's no pride celebration. Like no one does anything for pride. No one talks about it. That absence of it is a cultural thing, right? It's again, yeah. like you're missing from the narrative of your organization. Um, so. I, I'll kind of stop there, but that's in my mind what it is, right? I think we've made some progress in some of the direct ways that like violence and harm and discrimination can manifest. We have not done enough, but in some ways we've made progress. Um, and that's where most of the protections fall, I think, is on the direct things that 99.9% of the general population agree that that's not okay. But it's those other, the other majority of what happens in systemic ways and in cultural ways that we, so that's what I think we need to work on is like getting folks to go back and look at language and how can we make sure that everyone is included, right? So that we, I'm not creating like a disruption in HR because no one's thought about what to do with me and my family when it's my turn to ask for the resources and rights that are owed to me. Um, 
Absolutely, no question. We have made progress, but there's still a lot to do. And yeah. thank God that April and Megan are here today expounding what we need to do and uh, during this month of June and always. Uh, we've only got about five minutes left, sadly, but I got a couple of important questions for you. One in particular, are there things that non-LGBTQ plus humans could do to advocate for LGBT plus uh, humans uh, in the workplace? One or two pieces of advice for those out there who really want to be an advocate. You know, building off of what Megan said, I mean, I think it really is about educating yourself. And, you know, when I say educating, it's a little complicated because I think sometimes it's more about awareness and unlearning than it is about learning. So the example that Megan gave is a great one. And this is one that I often feel myself is just around the language that you're using. And I think if people start to become more aware of just how gendered and sort of heterosexist, just assuming, and what I mean by that is assuming that people are straight, they are, they would be very surprised at their own language. So, you know, for an example, I very regularly get asked, what does my husband do? Because people see my ring. Oh, wow. And, you know, just, I think just sort of saying like, what's your partner's name or, you know, like just making it a practice to ask questions in a way that isn't so gendered, isn't so assuming something would be a good place to start for whomever you are. The other answer to that question really lies in politics. And it's something that people don't want to bring into the workplace and talk about. But the reality is, you can still be fired for being gay in lots of places. Wow. And so until people understand that and start voting with their conscience and advocating for policies that provide protections instead of just based on their own personal identities and, and that you know kind of thing, you know, I, I do think that a lot of this lies in politics and that's something that's uncomfortable to talk about in the workplace, but is a reality. And no now, there certainly are people in positions of power, you know, managers, HR professionals, things like that, who I think can really take a critical eye to some of the policies and, um, you know, dress code and just, you know, things like that. Um, and just being more thoughtful and careful there. Um, but I think there's things that you can do as an individual and then as somebody in power. And that really starts with examining your language, examining your reactions, and getting educated on the issues and voting. Yeah, no, no question about that. Uh, we've only got about two minutes left, sadly. We could really talk for hours, but I really want to ask this question for our loyal listeners celebrating the, all of us the rest of Pride Month. How can we educate? How can Greg do a much better job educating himself and our loyal listeners the rest of this month and beyond? For me, I always say to start by asking yourself, um, what makes you uncomfortable, right? Oh. Did listening to this make you uncomfortable? Was it something that I said or something that April said? Um, you know, was it in your own life, right? Like, what, what was it about it, right? Like, when we're calling upon people to examine their gendered language, like, did that make you feel a certain kind of way? Like, and just be honest about that. I think at the, 
at the nexus of our discomfort, that is the entry point into our own growth. Um, and just get curious, right? You don't have to solve it. Get curious about why that makes you uncomfortable. Um, and I think that uh, to April's point about politics, if you hear something on the news, if you read an article, if you see something in your social media scroll, right? And that makes you feel uncomfortable. Or if the idea of leaving a comment or liking it or reposting it makes you uncomfortable, right? Like why, why, you know, what, what is that? Examine that. How is your privilege showing up, right? And that's discomfort. Um, and how is, uh, you know, how can you turn that into power? How can you investigate that discomfort to show up for other people, um, you know, in those, in those cases. But to me, that's the, that's the best place to get curious. Um, because I think that a lot of really well-meaning people who have a lot of love in, in their hearts and a lot of good intentions um, perpetuate, can perpetuate harm with silence because we don't examine our discomfort. Um, and until we're able to actually just be honest and say, yep, this actually makes me really uncomfortable, um, then we're not ever going to move forward. We're just going to avoid it and we're going to leave it where it is. So that's what I'll say. Thank you so much, Megan. I know the rest of this month and beyond, I need to get out of my comfort zone. And I have a feeling a few of our listeners do as well. You've given us so many nuggets today. How can our loyal listeners best contact you if they want some more nuggets, please? Um, they can certainly reach out by email, abarton at sfc.edu. Same here. My email is mdavis6 at sfc.edu. Okay, and that's M. Davis, the number six, is that right? At sfc.edu. April Barton, Megan Davis, we can't thank you both enough for being guests today, honoring us today on Thank God for Monday. Uh, we've been enlightened. Much more, we've been inspired. I've been inspired to educate myself a lot more on this subject matter. I'm sure our listeners have as well. Uh, continued joy, great contribution at St. Francis College and beyond. Uh, this wonderful contribution both of you are making to our world. Uh, enjoy the rest of Pride Month and beyond, sir. Thank you so much. Thanks, Happy Pride, everyone. Listeners, sadly, once again, guess what? We're out of time. Greg saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like April and Megan do, you'll say, thank God for Monday.